Netflix added nearly 9 million global subscribers in Q2 2023. The company credited the password sharing clampdown, which it calls paid sharing, with the gain. But did ad plans and the show suits help too? Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News and Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media is with me, of course. Hey, Colin, how is everything going this week for you? It's going really good and uh, had, a, had a great time with the Netflix results this week, which we're going to be talking about in a little bit of detail. Uh, they said a whole bunch of interesting things on the call, Will, and I think that, that uh, we should talk about some of those things and we'll find out if we were right about we both thought that paid sharing was going to be good for the company and i think the results are in from the quarter but uh, maybe i'm getting ahead of myself yeah a little bit ahead of yourself calm but let's um we had a couple of news items to cover this week first and i think you are leading us off <laughs> yeah i am and we got some details of espn this week because uh, bob Iger has been talking about uh, looking for other partners for ESPN. And as part of that process, he's begun to break out data on how the company is doing. And so in order to do that, they've created this division, which is the sports division. And they say that its revenue for the first three quarters of 2023 is $13.2 with an operating income close to one5 5 billion, which is pretty interesting. So that's just for the first nine months of, of 2023. And in comparison, the entertainment segment, which includes everything but sports, was 31 billion in sales, but just 1.2 billion in profit. So it's actually making less money than the sports division, which is making less than a half of the revenue. So it looks like the sports division is still doing pretty pretty decently, even though we've seen big decreases in the number of subscribers that are actually getting ESPN. And uh, actually, there was a little bit more detail in there, Will, which I thought was really interesting. Apparently, ESPN revenue is mostly what that is comprised of, mostly of what that $13.5 billion is. In fact, they said that it was more than $8 billion it comes from affiliate fees from ESPN. And so this is great because this actually gives us a chance to actually calculate how much each pay TV subscriber is is paying for ESPN. And this comes in right about where the estimates is. I ran the numbers about 72 million average subscribers to a virtual MVPD with ESPN and traditional pay TV subscribers, that gets you to about $11 a month, which is, I think, what the rough estimates were for the ESPN bundle uh, inside of the big TV bundle. So anyway, that's all very interesting. And uh, I guess Disney is putting its shingle out and wants people to partner with it on ESPN. So I guess we'll see the, those are numbers and we'll see how many people buy on that business. Yeah, it'll be also be interesting to see how they continue to report uh, what ESPN's results are going forward and whether they're able to 
keep up with some rate increases to offset the uh, losses on the on the uh, subscriber side, as you mentioned. Right. We'll probably get more details when they report their results next quarter. That's next month. Will they? They not scheduled to report uh, their Q4, which is a fiscal quarter, until next month. Yeah. Well, speaking of ESPN, um, I was intrigued to read this week uh, in the Wall Street Journal about. Uh, how the NBA is starting to have talks in earnest about it media rights starting with the 24-25 season. And ESPN and TNT have had um, a big bulk of those rights, about 165 games they broadcast nationally uh, together and uh, have been paying about $2.5 billion a year. Apparently, both those companies have signaled to uh, NBA that they're looking to contain costs. And that has led uh, the NBA to look to streaming providers, big tech, in order to uh, pick up some of the slack and potentially even to uh, up to triple, up to triple the fees that have been paid uh, to the NBA uh, on an annual basis. That was the, one of the key points of this article. Apparently both Amazon and Apple have already uh, expressed an interest. And one of the things that Amazon, I guess, in particular is asking for is the ability to broadcast not just national games on a national basis, but also within certain local markets. So uh, for improved targeting, no doubt, for ads. And NBA, um, the tenor of the article was certainly that NBA is in a strong position to get uh, a rate increase, but obviously we'll wait and see how these negotiations sort out. Um, I'll just say for my part that inside the stream listeners know that I've been skeptical about the value of uh, franchises and player salaries, uh, primarily because I was worried about the ability of uh, sports networks and RSNs to keep up with um, you know payments. And I think this article sort of bears out that that is indeed the case. The caveat that I had offered was whether the streaming companies are willing to, you know, essentially backstop and, you know, potentially even pay more, uh, depending upon their interest, uh, to get sports rights. And, and this article seems to indicate that that is indeed the case. So if indeed that is the case, then, uh, I would say salaries and franchise values will at least hold steady, if not increase. It could be a big new pot of money coming into the uh, into the market. Yeah, I'm not sure it's going to be the same for for the OSNs, the games that the OSNs are carrying. We'll we'll have to see what's happening. They're they're still trying to figure out the value of those games in this post bally sports diamond sports world right it's pretty complicated i know local broadcasters think they're going to get a lot of games but not everybody's going with local broadcasters i noticed that yes and then esn are just planning on doing d2c services so they're not even talking to local broadcasters so some of the games might go to local broadcasts some might go well they're all going to go to streaming i can tell you nobody's doing just broadcast these days so this is it. This is the big migration, maybe, of sports to yeah. streaming. It uh, seems like it's definitely in the in the process, right? Very well, uh, very well. Seems like it is. Um, so let's uh, let's jump on, Colin, to our main story this week. As you said at the top, Netflix reported 
its uh, Q3 earnings and pretty successful quarter, right? It was a very successful quarter for, for Netflix, I think. they In Q3 2023, they pretty much improved all of the metrics that I think are really important for the company to track. Uh, so, uh, and by the way, they met or exceeded their own estimates of pretty much everything. Revenues came in at just above what it forecast. That's a 8.5 billion for the quarter. Uh, and it's the same story for other key financial metrics like operating income and margin, right about where the company forecast they would be. Um, they said, uh, so in, um, operating income 1.9 billion and margins at 22.4%, which was up slightly. And uh, actually, Spence Newman, who's the CFO, was very bullish about margins. He saw, he saw them improving over time. So he thinks that they can do a lot better than that. Subscriber growth was was outstanding, actually, for the quarter. Global subscribers grew 8.8 million compared to 2.4 million back in Q3 2022. So that's really great, too. And that's on top of 5.9 million growth last quarter, Q2, compared to 1 million in Q2 2022. So something seems to be happening here that's really driving growth back into their business. Uh, and it's also fair to say that uh, the four regions did pretty well too. APEC led, Asia-PAC led with 17% increase, although that was slightly down from... Uh, the same period last year, EMEA was up 13.9%, LATAM grew 9.3%, and uh, UCAN, that's our region, U USA and Canada, was up 5.4%. And all of these, you know, certainly EMEA and uh, UCAN were doing much better than this time last year. Uh, LATAM and, and uh, Asia-PAC were right in there where they were maybe a year ago. So the big question is what's sparking that growth? And it, it seemed like they pretty much said it was paid sharing in the shareholder letter. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the, you know, big thing that they called out was, uh, what, what they call paid sharing. Um, which as we've talked about on the podcast before is the idea that, uh, you know, whereas they've always been very lenient toward, password sharing, even, you know, within families, even beyond family members, as we know, that they've um, cracked down on that and, and defined sharing uh, very narrowly to um, only within a physical structure within a, within a home itself. And everybody outside has to basically get their own account and they have different approaches for how to kind of migrate people into that. But they said that uh, in the letter that really um, the growth was due to the rollout of paid sharing. Uh, they also pointed to strong, steady programming and also um, just the general ongoing expansion of streaming globally. But yeah, the limitation of password sharing to, uh, to have to create a new paid account looks like it was the um, primary reason for the jump, and I'll just mention one other quick thing and let's then get into the paid sharing discussion. But uh, you and I have also been very focused on what they're doing with the ad business. And they did call out that um, I think they said 30% of signups now 
Uh, 30% of new signups now are for the ad supported tier. That I think may have led to just a slight decrease in ARPU in UCAN in Q3 of 23, a slight decrease from $16.37 a year ago to $16.29. That $6.99 per month ad supported plan uh, also is the only one not to get a price increase now also, I think, right, Colin? That's that's right. Well, actually, the standard plan won't go up either. Uh, but we'll, let's get to the price increases in a second. I, I, the page sharing, I, I love that they've, we were, we were talking about it as password sharing curves. They put a positive spin on it with this paid sharing moniker. <laughs> right. Whatever you want to call it, though, it, Greg Peters, who's one of the co-CEOs of Netflix, he and Ted Sarandis are the co-CEOs, was just cockahoo over this. He said, we're just incredibly pleased with how it's been going. And certainly the numbers really do seem to bear out, bear that out. It's really rolled out in two regions, which is USA and Canada and EMEA. And if you look at the numbers for the first half, USA, Canada, uh, this quarter, this, this year, 2023, they gained 3 million. The previous year, 2022, they lost 2 million in that quarter. And EMEA, same story, right? They gained 6.4 million in the first half of this year. And it's it's Spain and Portugal is where it rolled out in Europe so far. And uh, they had no gains in the first half of 2022. So that's clearly, you know, these, it really does seem to be having a big impact. And and he thinks, Mr. Craig Peters thinks that this is going to keep on being beneficial for them for several quarters. He said, there are a number of borrower cohorts that, as of today, have not received part of that experience. Uh, it's inter- interesting that he calls it an experience. I, that certainly be- bears out what I'm hearing. I know some people that are sharing passwords, and they haven't been told yet that they need to pay. And it could be because th- this is what Netflix is doing. It's it's sectioned out those people that perhaps are the highest users and targeted them first for this. And interestingly, Will, he says that they're not, you know, they're not going about this willy-nilly at all. They're actually going about this in a very methodical way. He says that the company's really trying to engage with the borrowers at the right time to optimize the probability that they will subscribe. So that means that they're not just, you know, cutting them off and throwing up a, a, an image. They're waiting sometime when they're maybe they're in the middle of binging or something and that's when they hit them with uh, hey you really need to start paying for this and so they're, they're going about this in a very intelligent way which seems to be being extremely effective in converting people to subscribers and sounds like that's what they're going to continue to do so you know they got a hats off to them they really seem to be making this work yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, th- I thought it might just be worth reading a, a short passage from the um, shareholder letter just to for our listeners to kind of hear it in Netflix's word. They said that we've now successfully taken action in every region in which we operate and we're rolling uh, out paid sharing as planned. The cancel reaction continues to be low, exceeding our expectations and borrower households converting into full paying memberships are demonstrating healthy retention. 
As a result, we're revenue positive in every region when accounting for additional spin-off accounts and extra members churn and changes to our plan mix. So yeah, they sounds like they're feeling very positive about the uh, metrics that paid sharing is achieving for them. Yeah, I love, I'm smiling because I read that as well. And this week, even this week, there was a poll somebody released that said 40% of people were going to cancel their Netflix, said that they were thinking of canceling their Netflix if, if they increase the price. Well, they're going to increase the price. I think it was a similar amount of people said that they were going to cancel over paid sharing and they obviously haven't followed through. So just, you know, pay anytime you see a poll that says people are going to quit because of a changing conditions or something, take that with a grain of salt. If they're still watching, they're probably going to stick around. And on the ads things, this is pretty interesting. I have a feeling that the ad thing might also be involved a little bit here, Will, because it does give people a lower price entry entry price to Netflix. And I think this has been extremely helpful for them with paid sharing, right? Because now if people really if people who are who are sharing really don't want to pay fifteen dollars, which is how much you have to pay now if you want to watch without ads. They can come in at the much lower $7 a month tier and continue to watch. So I think that's probably working really well. And they're still in their crawl, walk, run phase of, they're in the crawl phase. And as you say, 30% of people signing up, are signing up for the ad plan. And they're actually really beginning to beef up their abilities with the ad plan. They said that they're going to add a new, a couple of new ad products. One of them is a binge ad product, which basically, you know, if you're in, in the middle of watching multiple episodes, they'll give you an opportunity for one of those episodes to be watched ad free if you watch a, an extended ad pod at the beginning, which they're calling their binge ad product. Um, they also say that they're, I, I was really surprised about this. A year or two ago, we were talking a lot about downloads. And as of today, I don't think anybody has launched a download tier that includes ads. Uh, and, and the reason is simple. It's actually quite logistically difficult to do, right? Because if you download something, it's got ads and you're watching it offline and the ads are out of date, then, you know, what do you do about that? Well, Netflix says they're going to be adding downloads for ad viewers in the very near future. So they think they've got this fixed or got this... Um, got this cracked. They know how they're going to handle that. And they also said that today the inventory they have is not targeted. So basically they're, they're doing these by groups and probably by content type. Uh, that's how they're selling the ads today. And they say that they're going to begin to phase in ad targeting in the com- coming months and years. So, so that's coming too. They've even partnered with Nielsen on measurement. So they're doing all the right things here, Will, I think, to really continue the momentum with the ad tier and continue to do very well with it. Yeah, I would think that the download feature in the ad-supported version would be uh, a you know, pretty material enhancement because um, we all know that uh, there's just a lot of usage of, of the downloading feature now across you know, all different streaming services. But that has been a limitation in the ad supported. So uh, that seems like that would be a big addition. Yeah, I think so too. And 
you know, when you're commuting on a train, I can't think of anything better to do than watch video. I can tell you when I was recently in Europe, it was the number one thing I saw people doing on trains, whether it be on the underground or, you know, with the metro in, in Amsterdam. Everybody was watching with uh, video. And I can tell you that network connectivity down there is extremely spotty, if not non-existent, in many, many places. And downloads is a really essential feature, I think, if you want to capture p people's attention in that environment and uh, that's certainly i think something that they want to do and talking of the ad tier that's actually not getting a price increase as we talked about right. a little bit earlier it's they're not increasing the price of ads either here or in europe uh, they are increasing prices but not for the, not for that also not for the standard plan which is the first ad free tier that's staying at 15.49 a month here in the u.s but they are increasing the basic and the premium tier. Now, the basic tier was $9.99. They're actually not allowing new subscribers to sign up to that anymore uh, because that was before the first ad-free tier at $9.99. Well, those people that are on that tier are going to see that price go up $2 to $11.99. And the price of the premium tier, which was previously $19.99, is going to $22.99. And really the principal benefit there is Ultra HD quality. And they do have a lot more streams, but I don't think, I think you can have four simultaneous streams, but that's a lot less interesting if you can't share, right? <laughs> so um, I'm not sure that that's quite such a big benefit there. Uh, and you were seeing similar, similar approach in Europe with the pricing there. So, so yeah, prices are increasing, but not on the plans that I think most people are on, which is interesting. Yeah. It's uh, it was a strong for sure a strong quarter uh, for Netflix and um, from what their messaging sounds like they believe there are strong quarters yet to come. I think I think so and you know one of the things that Ted Sarandos talked about on the call will was really interesting. Uh, I I think you in our business if you didn't notice how well Suits has done on Netflix, then you probably are paying attention and you really should be paying more attention. It really has done exceptionally well. It sat at the top of the top 10 streaming streaming shows for, uh, well, m many, many weeks uh, once it appeared on Netflix. And uh, Ted Sarandos had this to say. He said, Suits is a great example of the impact of the Netflix effect that we can have and I got to tell you, I agree with him. It's like they have such deep penetration. So many people use it that they're really able to take an old show, a show that was already available on another service, right, and make it a hit again. And he actually went on to say that um, Netflix licensed some shows from HBO, which made the news, I think, a few months ago. And two of the shows that they licensed are called Ballers and Insecure. And he said that their appearance on Netflix caused them to pop into the top 10 on the originating network services. So, you know, I guess the, on Max, Ballers and Insecure, when they appeared on Netflix, appeared in the top 10 of shows on Max. So they seem to think that they have a positive impact 
on the shows in the original service when they're licensed to them. And he seems to think that they can do the same again when they release Six Feet Under, which comes out on November 1st and another, uh, a number of other shows. And he had a great quote, Will, which I gotta, I gotta tell you and our listeners. He said, we can't make everything, but we can help you find just about anything. So, <laughs> so I thought that was a great <laughs> quote and just illustrates that licensing content is still a core approach for the company uh, and that they can really do things which other companies just can't do with it. Uh, and there were a couple of other things that I thought were also interesting in content. Um, he says that they're going to... Um, they're going to be spending 17 billion on content in 2024. And they would have spent that this year, but they couldn't because of the strike. Um, they, he said they only ended up spending about 13 billion. But even more interesting was that Spence, who's the CFO, he went on to say that they think that 17 billion is around about what they have to spend in this business to stay where, you know, to maintain their position. And uh, he said over time, he said he sees them sort of incrementally increasing that based, I guess, on what's going on with inflation or maybe what's going on with how the strike gets settled. So their content strategy seems to be working. They've had some pretty big hits with shows made in foreign markets as well. And looks like it's going to be more the same into 2024. It does indeed. So uh, I think we're going to leave it at that for today, Colin, unless you had any other uh, observations from the uh, from the quarterly report. Well, I just wanted to mention one other thing, uh, which uh, it turns out I didn't know Netflix was doing this. Apparently, they have some sort of traveling live experience that they've been taking to cities. There's been a big hit with users and it apparently allows people to have the Bridgerton experience and the Stranger Things experience, etc. And this apparently has been very, very popular. Ted Sarandos said that people have actually got married in the Bridgerton experience, which is something to think about. Well, apparently there's going to be a permanent home for these types of things, which they're calling the Netflix house. And he this is part of the consumer products and experiences group. And this is where they're going to sort of permanently house these types of experiences. So the big hit shows people are going to be able to go to the Netflix house and experience the shows. And uh, it made me think, is this the nascent Netflix land to sort of com- compete with Disneyland? I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But they did say, it wasn't a material investment area. So this is not something they see making lots of money like uh, Disneyland does. Yeah. So let's, uh, so probably a little early to put it into the Disneyland category, but Hey, with Netflix, you never know where things could go in the future. Who knows, right? They always do this uh, crawl, walk, run. Maybe this is crawl for this Netflix land. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we'll keep uh, we'll keep watching out for what Netflix House does, and uh, I think that's it for this week, Colin. So um, good chatting with you. Thanks everybody for listening in on this week's edition of Inside the Stream, and we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.